Buongiorno amici, benvenuti to Kimberly's Italy. Hello friends and welcome to Kimberly's Italy, a podcast about all things Italian. My name is Kimberly Holcomb and I am here with Tommaso. Buongiorno, Belladonna. Buongiorno, come stai Tommaso? Yeah, va bene, 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 bene. Buonissimo. Si. I had a big pasta last night. I'm always good. <laughs> Very true. We had a couple over whose trip I am planning for them, mostly in northern Italy, and we went over their itinerary. And so why wouldn't we make them un bel pasta? Exactly. With a bottle of Vino Nobile di Montalcino that I got in Tuscany. That was very good. It was that's the best perk of that job. It was a pretty rousing, wonderful dinner for a Sunday night. Yes, it was. When you're usually like rooting through the refrigerator looking for <laughs> leftovers. <laughs> Welcome to episode 44. And this is on the last day of my epic road trip. It was over. <laughs> it was over a three and a half week road trip where I drove from the Top of Italy to the bottom. And then back up. Back up halfway. Well, whatever. Only to Rome. It was you went north. Yes, I did. Anyway, it was awesome. Three and a half weeks of zigzagging around, staying in multiple villages, cities, beachside towns, mountain towns, a cave dwelling, you name it. It was awesome. From these two kitten club trips, out of those eight women, five of them had never been to Italy. And but five of them are going back, yes, I would that's assume. true. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's just to get gelato. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, that was the biggest treat of the whole trip. To see these women, to see their expressions, to hear them uh, exclaim over the beauty of Lake Como or the taste of the first legit tiramisu they ever had. Or finding a truffle. Yes. Everything about seeing their faces and expressions, experiencing all that Italy has to offer for the first time was just a, a treat beyond words. I loved every minute of it. And also this road trip reminded me of the old days when I lived there. I took road trips on a whim with anybody who ever had a car, but I hadn't driven from the very top to the very bottom since I lived there like one year into it, I drove from Milano to Palermo on in Sicily in a Cinquecento that was 25 years old at the time. So <laughs> <laughs> that was an epic road trip as well, I will say. But I hadn't done an entire road trip north to south. It would be the equivalent of driving from New York to California, you know, like coast to coast. So it was fun. I loved it. And we always drive when we go. I mean, that's my preference. I like to drive. It's in my blood. I grew up on road trips with my parents all over the country, but that's my choice. A lot of people prefer not to drive in a foreign country. That's fine. But I do. And it's a good way to see, to see the country. Well, I can understand why some people would not like to drive. But if you listen to the Monopoly oh. to Matera, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, right. That was a great, it was great. And you look back on it. We survived. <laughs> or the time good. I um, admitted that I clipped someone's rearview mirror. Yes. But that was a narrow road. It's, it's totally yeah, not my of fault. Of course it was. <laughs> and we had the wonderful litter box, so that was good. Yes. <laughs> Allora, before we, 
before we dive into this last day, I forgot to mention in the last episode, your evening escapade that last night in Rome after our dinner, mm-hmm. uh, Ninetta and I went back to the Palazzo because we did not want to gelato like the rest of you did. We'd had our fill, but as I mentioned before, Rosanna had to try tiramisu and gelato every single night. So two of us went back to the Palazzo and the rest of you went on your hunt for gelato. And then... Who was I to argue? Right. <laughs> apparently they all ended up on the top of the Spanish steps and decided to kind of recreate every famous movie scene from any movie involving the Spanish steps with Rosanna flinging her new scarf she bought in Matera. Whatever you guys did, you came back like giddy with laughter. Well, it helped that we were... Um we had a little bit of uh, 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 preloaded with the wine we left, which was great. We had some wine and loosened us up a bit. <laughs> well, the evening had a lot of humor in it because we chuckled at the influencer who was on the Spanish Steps. Instagram that, influencer? I don't know. I didn't actually ask for her. <laughs> TikTok. Could have been TikTok whatever, influencer. Whatever, whatever. She was doing all these poses and having someone video or photograph her. And yeah. So maybe someone photographed us doing all of our, <laughs> I was making, I was making stuff up. I was playing James Bond and I don't think I've, James Bond has ever been on the Spanish steps. Oh, he might have. Anyway, they had an awesome time. And other than the influencer, no one was there. No one was there. And it was maybe midnight, 1230. Yeah. I mean, how lovely. However, when you guys came back, we all decided whoever's up and wants to go at 7 a.m., depart at 7 a.m. to go to the Pantheon because of an early opening, let's do it. So all of us, except for Tommaso, he decided to have a... um, A lion. A lion, as the British call it. Well, Livia had found out the day before, or I should say she heard the day before, that a few days a week, the Pantheon opens early early access, no one there. So when we left at 7 a.m., no coffee, anything, it was starting to drizzle. And we thought, this is perfect. Who's going to go to the Pantheon in the drizzly morning weather? No one. We'll have it to ourselves. So we got there. Let me just say, <laughs> Livia had bad intel. Bad intel. <laughs> okay. Cuso, totally closed. No one in sight, just us. I had my doubts. That's why I had a lion. Oh, you did not. You just probably were sick of being with all the kittens and thought, hmm, no, good opportunity. Of course not. <laughs> anyway, so uh, the bad intel led to a fine time anyway, because we peeked through the teeny, teeny little space, the slip between these two massive doors to the Pantheon. And I stood in the back and I have very funny pictures of them all taking turns looking through the little slit in the window or in, in between the doors, I should say. And I looked at the time frame of all the photos I took and we were literally there like 37 minutes with no rush to leave, just looking at this place, had it to ourselves. And the piazza where the Pantheon sits was void of anyone except the random, you know, Roman going to work early or going to get a cappuccino. And someone said, I wonder if these steps, this stone that we're standing on right now is actually part of the original from 27 BC. It was just fantastic to stand there and think about that. I'll go there next time. Yes, we all will. No. (laughs) Wrong. 
<laughs> anyway, so we finally left there in search of a good cappuccino. And also we figured why not walk by the Trevi Fountain for the last time. And as we were walking, we got a bit lost, which is the beauty of that. You don't care. And in this case, it was extra special because all of a sudden we ended up in Piazza Minerva. And I remembered this word because Rosanna, she came on this trip with a bucket list and she wanted to see these five things. And by standing in Piazza Minerva, she checked off number five because I I took her to the Mater. Remember that episode? She saw the Sistine Chapel, the Vatican, something else. And then the other thing on her list was Hotel Minerva, of all things. Some friend of hers that had gone to Rome many times said, oh, if you go to Rome, please go to Hotel Minerva, go inside, have a coffee, use the bathroom, anything, but just go find it. So we did. So we're taking pictures of Rosanna waving to our friends standing in front of Hotel Minerva. And all of a sudden I looked to the left and there was this sculpture that was so out of place. It was an elephant decorated with like a, you know, fancy cloth over its waist and on top of its waist, its back, I should say. And on top, the elephant was carrying an obelisk. And I thought, why is this here? What does this have to do with anything Italian? So I looked at the top of the obelisk and it had Egyptian hieroglyphics. So whether you studied art history or history in general or not, anyone can tell the difference between Egyptian hieroglyphics and Latin text. So I thought this is really odd. So I took a million pictures of it. It wasn't that large, not an obelisk like the other very large ones around the city. It's maybe like 12, 14 feet, something like that on top of this little elephant. So later that night I looked it up and sure enough, guess who made it? Don't know. My buddy Bernini. Oh, really? The busy, busy dude. (laughs) I think he felt some pressure after Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo to, you know, who's the next person? He was the Elon Musk of his time, doing hey, a lot of stuff. Good analogy. <laughs> anyway, so the story is Romans found this obelisk underground or hidden in some building or something during excavations in 1665. And they had history books at the time as well. And they realized it was the Egyptian obelisk commissioned by Pharaoh Ares in 580 B.C. They didn't just turn around and go, Giovanni, por favore, Google. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They had handwritten manuscripts on the history of, you know, what else was made, commissioned, discovered, etc. in the world. Probably took them a little bit of time to find that out. Well, regardless, they knew it was something of such importance that they hired Bernini, who was the man of the day, to design and carve the perfect escort. The elephant was carrying this obelisk. I thought that was just awesome. So it's it's another example of finding out something so interesting after the fact, but at least I still found it. And you know when we go there. The next time I'm dragging you to see this elephant obelisk. But it's funny because I studied Bernini all through college, every significant artist of Italy and everywhere else. But I thought I knew every major thing he did, building he designed, sculpture. And there you have it, this little elephant with obelisk in Piazza Minerva. You wear many hats, my darling. 
church lady, and now mm-hmm. it's obelisk lady. <laughs> no, I'm just art history lover. <laughs> so after leaving the elephant and the obelisk, we went back to the palazzo, got Tommaso. We all had a cappuccino at a lovely little place across the street and decided that we would meet up again at 1230 at Campo di Fiori because each of us wanted to see the last few things that we hadn't seen already. So on my list for Tommaso was to take him to Piazza Navona. So we headed south, and I'm saying this because when you enter from the north going south to Piazza Navona, you cannot see it. It's basically hidden, out of sight, out of view. You don't even know it's there until until you take this one little random road. Not even a road. It's like a short little half block, kind of a walking street. And then all of a sudden, wow, you are in the piazza. And it's this large, rectangular, very, very large piazza. But the significant thing is it's rectangular. And that's because it had been an ancient stadium for athletic competitions and maybe horse shows, et cetera. But once they decided to make it into a public gathering piazza, they kept the shape rectangular. Most of them in Rome are circular. There's rectangular piazzas in Lucca, in Firenze, but Rome, this piazza is unique, stands apart from the rest. So in Fontana del Moro, there is a much larger than life-size Moorish man wrestling with a dolphin standing in a conch shell. Why wouldn't you, right? (laughs) (laughs) And he's surrounded on the edges of this fountain by four tritons. Do you remember what a triton is? Um, it's like the male version of a mermaid. Okay. It's a merman. Ah. And in this case, there's four. So there's four mer- mermen. <laughs> mermen. <laughs> and Triton, by the way, was the son of Poseidon. Then in the south part is Fontana del Neptuno, Neptune. And this one is awesome also. Neptune is battling a an octopus. If you look really closely, you can see the suction cups. It's just... Ugh. That's why and, Italians love eating octopus. I know, it. they do. God, there was octopus everywhere. Yuck. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> this octopus is crawling up his naked body. It's like wrapped around one of his legs and he's got his arms up ahead with a, not a trident, but a spear, like a triangular shaped spear. And he's about to jam this octopus head. It's very graphic. And then there's also horses climbing out of the water on either side, little cherubs, mermaids. I mean, it's busy, but it's amazing. And then finally, the big one is Fontana del Quattro Fiumi. Fiumi means river, so the four rivers. And this is the largest and the most impressive, and everyone kind of gathers around it because it's just mind-blowing, but it's so much better to know the story of it. So the Quattro Fiumi, Four Rivers. And guess who designed it? Bernini. Yes, my buddy Bernini again. (laughs) Anyway. God was busy. He was. Just like Leo, Michelangelo. It's crazy. Anyway, the four sculptures are very muscular men, more than life-size also. Very Michelangelo. Their body shape, very muscular like Michelangelo. And these four men represent the four rivers from what was the four known continents at the time. And keep in mind, this is 1651. So those continents were Africa, Asia, Europe, and America. Anyway, it's so beautiful. And they're, they're like museum 
worthy, but yet they're outside in a fountain with water continuously coming out of them, pouring over them. But the interesting thing is that the base of each of these fountains is about from mid 1500s. But keep in mind that this was the main water source for all Romans through the aqueducts coming down from the hills. So these bases were always there. And then over time, they would add sculptures to decorate the water source, the fountain. So for example, Neptune, he was added 300 years later than the base of the fountain. He was added in 1800 something. So very cool and worthy of a A visit. Yes. But knowing what you're looking at. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, so one little uh, side note about Piazza Navona. The other thing it's famous for is completely opposite of these works of art is a dessert. So if you have a sweet tooth on the northwest side of the piazza is a restaurant called Tre Scalini. And they're famous for their dessert, which they named Il Tartufo, which is funny because that's the word for truffle. Mm-hmm. Remember? Yep. We ate a lot of tartufo. Yes. Tartufo. Every me. chance. Yes. So anyway, this tartufo at Tre Scalini is la specialità de casa. Their house special. And they invented it apparently in 1946. And it's a chocolatey... Mm, combo with cream. It's supposedly delicious, but we went and looked at everyone sitting outside eating it, but we decided not to uh, indulge because we had to go meet everyone at Campo di Fiore for lunch and a little bit of shopping at the outdoor market, which is what Campo di Fiore is now. I understand. Also, it's the field, it's originally the field of flowers. Well, that's what the name is. Sorry. Exactly. Campo di Fiore means a field of flowers. So it's also a very famous piazza because of Giordano Bruno. And Giordano Bruno... Giordano. Giordano, sorry. I'm I'm working on (laughs) it. You're getting there. I'm getting there. Anyway, uh, it was a a spot where they um, put people to death. And he was a heretic in the 16th century. But he was also a theologian, an astrologer, a philosopher, and he went against the teachings of the church at the time that it was the universe was central, that the whole world revolved around the sun, as in the whole world revolved around the God. So anyway. Okay. He was science-based. As he was, to he was science-based. Based. He looked up this guy and said, all of these stars are actually constellations. We're looking at multiple suns all around the universe. No one believed him. Yeah, it really really wasn't sort of, uh, you know, tuned in with the teaching of the day. So the field of flowers also was an execution point where they did a lot of nasty things to people, and they ended up, over time, convicting him, and he was hung upside down, (gasps) naked, and then burned. Oh, God. And when he was being burned and being tortured, he um, they gave him a chance to recant, but also they weren't going to stop the fire. Oh. Uh, but they, um, he said no, he didn't say a word the whole time. He suffered in dignity. So he, yeah, he was the first guy to really go against the teachings of the church in Italy. Giordano Bruno. Yes. So science based. Mm-hmm. Okay. And is there a? Yes, he's he's the no, sculpture. There is a sculpture. Yes. there. I. Yeah, you tend to walk by it, but he's there. I'm sorry to say that I didn't stop and look at it or notice it. I think we were a little late, so I was looking for the 
The cheese. girls. Look at the cheese. <laughs> well, we did find the cheese. Yes. The cheese maker. And boy, was he a good salesman. We left with about a hundred euro worth of cheese. And uh, everyone else bought some as well. But here's a travel tip. Travel tip. Ding, 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 ding. Wrap it in a pair of jeans or a towel or something. Put it in a checked bag. Because Rosanna and Chiara both put it in carry-on and they had it taken away at JFK when they landed. So someone in Queens had a, like <laughs> really good pasta dinners. Hey, you doing, honey? Hey, uh, I brought them. I stopped for cheese along the way. Look what I got. <laughs> anyway, that's a travel tip. Take any. We also carried a big tin of uh, olive oil from Puglia. It was dented, but we wrapped it in some kind of plastic, the can, the tin itself, and then um, a pair of jeans and braced it with sneakers. It was well padded. Yes. And we were enjoying that last night, as a matter of fact. Yes, we did. Wonderful Sunday night pasta. Everything was from Puglia, including the uh, little peppers. Anyway, here we go. Segwaying again into food. (laughs) Digressing (laughs) into talking about food. Anyway, the Campo di Fiore large outdoor market. Everything's beautifully presented and there's no plastic containers in sight. Everyone brings their own cloth bag. It's just a joy to shop in a place like that. And we had a lunch outside at the south end of the market. I was looking at my pictures from it. I had a lovely salad. We all had uh, Aperol spritz. Shocker. And then Everyone left to do their own thing because those four women had purchased online specific times to go see the Vatican Museum, Sistine Chapel, etc. However, Tommaso and I decided to just keep walking, walking everywhere that we hadn't been yet. So we were just meandering around and the sun came out. It was beautiful. And all of a sudden we found a bookstore in a new-ish building. It wasn't a you know, ancient bookstore, but bookstores are, you know, one of our weaknesses. Yes. Like pasta and (laughs) scotch. They're few and far (laughs) between here these days. Yes. Very good point. And there are more of them. I'm sure there's less over there as well, but there are more in Europe. Thank goodness. So we just got lost in there, just spent, I don't know, an hour or two. It was so lovely. There were old books, there were new books, contemporary, paper goods, you name it. And in the end, we each left with something. And Tommaso bought me one of my Christmas gifts, which was this is this leather bound, stunning, like nine by 12 inch daily agenda. The leather feels like butter, (laughs) the paper, each page is so beautiful and has this silk ribbon that you put in between to mark each day. So I write in it every day in Italian to keep up with my writing skills. And I write everything I'm doing about every trip I'm working on for clients. I write everything to do about this podcast in it. So it's this beautiful daily reminder every single day of that lovely bookstore. And from there, then we walked back to the Palazzo and we met everyone else. And they sat down and told us about their time at the Vatican Vatican Museum, Sistine Chapel. They were so lucky. They loved it. But the phrase that sticks out the most was Chiara said, because she had been there two previous times with her family, kids and whomever. 
And she said, you know, I had no idea that there were life-size sculptures that line those long art galleries on your way to the Sistine Chapel. Hmm. I had no idea there was that beautiful mosaic floor because the two previous times she'd been there was wall-to-wall people. Right. Like sardines in a tin can and being like shuffled along. Just she never saw anything except hundreds of people in front of her and the ceilings, which are decorative. Sure. But I thought that was a an incredible statement and I I was so happy for them because in my day, you know, a long time ago, every time I would take whomever was visiting to Rome, we just would walk in. You didn't even need to buy a ticket in those days. Well, you purchase a ticket, but you didn't need to purchase it ahead of time. Just got there, you walked in, there were maybe 30 other people with you in the Sistine Chapel. You you weren't rushed out. You had more than five minutes. But in this case, so it was, you know, the second week of November and they had the place to themselves. And Livia and Ninetta said the same. They saw the Sistine Chapel, the Vatican Museum, and the, the Vatican Museum has this incredible circular staircase that is an architectural gem. And yet you can never really see it because of so many people. They took pictures from above. It was empty. And then they had a ticket also to go into St. Peter's. They never had to show it. No one asked. No one there. Well, note to self, when church lady takes me to St. Peter's, we're going off season. Exactly. Going low season. So here's a suggestion. And only if you're lucky enough to be able to travel at that time of year, that unique little time frame between the end of the fall tour season, which slows down mid to late October, and then before Americans start to get ready for their Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. So if you are able to go like the second or third week of November, it's a brilliant time to Or in go. the spring, or in the spring. before Early, the early. Yeah, right. The like shoulder the, seasons. Yes. So anyway, I was so happy for all four of them to be able to see the Sistine Chapel, the Vatican Museum, and St. Peter's basically empty. And... They told us all this over our last glass of wine or bottle of wine that we shared in the little sala, the living room of our sweet little palazzo. And we had dinner reservations at Roscioli, and we knew that was a taxi right away. So we all walked to the Spanish Steps, went to the taxi stand, and this is a travel tip also for you guys. You can't really flag down a taxi in Italy like you can in New York or L.A., well, L.A. doesn't have taxis. taxis. (laughs) Chicago, wherever. You have to go basically to a taxi stand, and they're always outside of a train station or airport, or within a city, you you find out where they are. In this case, close to us was uh, Spanish Steps. So we got in two taxis and went to Roscioli on the other side of the city. So Roscioli is famous for, well, the family itself is famous for a baking company. They are a well-known establishment historically for baking. And then they started this wine club, then this restaurant. So they are um, uh, an every man, an every family. And they have a wine list, a wine collection, I should say that, I don't know, rivals whom else? I have no idea, but just incredible. So the best part about Roscioli is you think, oh, it's hard to get a table. You have to make reservations weeks in advance. And the manager of our palazzo 
made the reservation for us, which is why I think we were seated where we were. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so you're not allowed in until your reservation time frame. So I think we were 9.15. And so we were standing outside with other people and obviously they knew the drill. I had never been there before. So I just went with the flow, saw people waiting outside. We waited. Then they opened this narrow little nothing door and they'll call out the person's surname. So you hear Hulk on Bay. Yes, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so in we went and you enter this little nothing door and then you're standing, you enter into. In a gorgeous Salumaria. Bravo, Salumaria. I was going to say the equivalent of a deli. You're at the deli counter when you walk into the famous Roscioli. You don't know who you're talking to here. Tommaso. <laughs> anyway, remember that glass counter? It had, you know, the food behind it, whatever you call that yeah. container. It had more Parmigiano than the our cheese guy in Campo di Fiori and cured meats hanging the whole, what do you call that? Like a leg of a ham well, it's, it's side. Prosciutto or, and, and, oh. and wild boar hanging. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, lots of dead animals hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> and um, gets my taste buds going. Yucky. And then shelves filled with olive oil and balsamic, all kinds of Pastas deli. and deli food. Deli-related things. So, Olives in cans. Yes. It was stunning. So you walk through that, and they it's a good idea to get you walking through there knowing you'll stop on the way out and purchase things. Sure. But I realized that there were teeny tables for two right to the side. Like they jam in people anywhere they can get because it's so popular. It's also Rome where places are crowded. It's just the fact of life. Yes. So, well, I kept thinking, oh, I'd hate to be at that table right at the entrance with people, a stream of people walking by going, whoa. On a first first date with somebody. (laughs) Not a good spot. So what do you do? (laughs) Anyway, so we followed the maitre d'. And went from through room after room after room. And we were like taking rights and lefts. And then all of a sudden he went down this really steep staircase Mm -hmm. and wasn't, you know, up to code in any way, shape or form. Like no handrails, nothing. Rome, dear. I know. (laughs) So we're walking down this like funny staircase and we enter into the wine cellar. And it is, I found out later, the most coveted spot. There are maybe... I don't know, eight, 10 tables. Yes. And we had a table of six. There was another table at least as large as ours. And I thought, wow, this is an awesome way to to end the trip. Six people. They've got, they probably figure they're going to, you know, knock off four or five bottles Mm -hmm. at. Well, then let's just. (laughs) Not our price point. (laughs) Put it this way. We were seated and the waiter, they were all men. I will say, the waiters. And he came over and gave Tommaso. La capo. Il capo. Il capo. Uh Uh-huh. The wine list. Yes. And the wine list was the size of a Gutenberg Bible. And and bookended and bound and like wood on the top. And it was. And was it heavy? It was heavy. And it was. And when you opened it up, it had been assembled over time. And it wasn't sort of like someone sat there and went, okay, okay. How do I put these 7,000 wines in it? 
it had been a page here, a page there. Oh, so it wasn't by grape or well, varietal? Well, it, it was by grape and varietal, but things change. Okay. And as you went through it, it was, it was mind-boggling. Overwhelming. Yeah, Overwhelming. You needed a course in how to order a wine at Roscioli, <laughs> and they, we didn't have that course. Well, in the end, you passed it down to me because I knew at least a little bit more. You also knew the budget because I would have gone right. the other way. <laughs> And so this is where the dinner story changes. <laughs> I was overwhelmed by the prices, the amount, everything. And I thought, you know what? We have had the most delicious wine this whole trip for super reasonable prices. Right. Why would I go crazy on our last night and order some, you know, 150 euro bottle, right? No there need. There were some in there for four or five. I, I oh, thought four, thousands. I, I, thousands. I didn't see the euro. thousands, I but did. I, I did see the four or 500 euros. Right. And I thought this is ridiculous. So I chose a Barbera di Asti, which is light because I knew we were all there for the Carbonara and the Caucho Pepe, which is their specialty and Rome's specialty. So I ordered a Barbera and it was maybe, maybe 30 euro, maybe. And that's when the waiter's attitude kind of changed. <laughs> Shifted. <laughs> he was like, oh, wow. And so just to spite him, actually, later, I ordered the second bottle, the same one. I wasn't going to go up five euro. <laughs> anyway, it was really, wasn't that wine delicious? It was delicious. And then uh, Tommaso had carbonara, yes. I think, for your first time. I did. I did. Okay. That was my first time. I had Caucho e Pepe. Everyone had the standards and we had some appetizers. And then, of course, Rosanna had to have tiramisu. And it was lovely. Absolutely lovely. Minus the waiter being a little disappointed in our price point. Anyway, so we left, took a taxi back home. We sat in La Sala just for a minute because we had to get up very early for a um, driver that was picking us up to take us to the airport. So there was, uh, you know, thank you so much, Kim. It was the best time ever. My favorite was this, that. We had a, just a quick chat, and it just made me feel so happy that everyone truly had an amazing time, including Tomaso and myself. Yes, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. But then as we were standing there, like, ending up our little, you know, love fest, all of a sudden I was like, whoa. Gosh, I'm exhausted. I was like, why? I wonder. And then I thought, oh, it's been 25 days of being the ringleader for two different groups. And all of a sudden I was like, boom, I am tired. And Well, we're not going to post the picture, but the picture. From we, from Rochelle that was, night I looked. You, I looked at, you I, saw it and you went, my God. hundred years old. Yes. <laughs> well, the lighting was kind of bad in that wine cellar. Okay. Okay, sure. Whatever. <laughs> Anyway, so it was such a lovely time and it was so awesome that I'm organizing another one for this fall around the same time frame. And, you know, I'm going to be there. So I could bookend it on either end. If anyone wants to get together, some friends or family, get in touch. I'd be happy to treat you to the exact same epic road trip. And you can pay for the wine. They can pay for the wine. Yes, if you, you can order the wine. If you're interested in it, you can order whatever you want. Oh, yes, yeah. If you want to go for the big bottle, I'm happy to order it And for I'm happy you. to fly over and help you drink it. <laughs> All right, so we will be back with our next episode 
on the Amalfi Coast. I am currently planning several trips for people there, and it just reminded me of how amazing it is. I've been there so many times, so get your taste buds ready for a couple episodes on the Amalfi Coast. Okay, grazie mille tutti. Ci sentiamo. E ciao ciao. Ciao ciao. 